0: It is time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. One of my favorite times of the day to be able to come at you and talk a little sports from four to five every weekday here with the airwaves of ESPN-UP. I'm going to be up front with you, ladies and gentlemen, today. I went camping this weekend. I did not dress warmly enough. I'm starting to come down with a cold. I've been sucking on those Halls vitamin C, cough drop things throughout the day, trying to get my voice back to where it needs to be. So if something doesn't sound right, I crack at some point during this show, I apologize in advance, but I tell you what, we've got a lot to get to today. Couldn't have happened at a worse time, getting a cold or getting a pre-cold. I hate that when you know you're coming down with something, there's nothing you can really do about it. You just try to play prevent defense, but it feels like the cold you're going up against is like Aaron Rodgers and just picks that apart. You know that you're going to have a cold anyway, but I tell you what, there's a lot to get to because yesterday was the final day of the Major League Baseball regular season. We've got a few new managerial vacancies. We've got college football, NFL football to bring. Break down from over the weekend, and let's do so the way that we start the week every fall during the football season, and that's breaking down each and every game from Sunday. Let's start with this one. Tennessee goes on the road to beat Atlanta, 24 to 10. Tennessee's now two and two, as is every team in that division, and it feels like everyone in the league except maybe New England, Kansas City, San Francisco, the Dolphins, the Redskins, almost everybody else is two and two. It seems like. Like, this was a weekend where not a lot made sense. Whatever we thought we knew going into the season was not the case. Things just didn't seem to work out as they should have on paper, like Tennessee beating Atlanta twenty-four to ten. So the Titans again are two and two. The Falcons continue to be one of the worst disappointments in football this year. They fall to one and three. They should probably be zero and four had not Julio Jones been heroic on Sunday Night Football a couple of weeks ago. Matt Ryan thirty-five of fifty-three for three hundred ninety-seven yards was not intercepted. Didn't throw a touchdown though. It didn't result in a win. I don't know what's going on with Atlanta this year. Marcus Mariota on the other side, 18-27, 227 yards and three touchdowns. Not a bad day for him either. A couple of good quarterback performances, but it's Mariota and the Titans who come away with the victory because they had the guys who could do it on both sides of the ball. How about the Cleveland Browns making a statement? They silence the critics, at least for now, as they go into Baltimore and come out with a forty to twenty-five victory, and just like that, Cleveland at two and two is on top of the AFC North. Lamar Jackson? Man, what happened, my dude? I was so high on you for how long now? Wasn't a terrible performance from him, 24-34, 247 yards and three touchdowns, but he was picked twice. Baker Mayfield looks like he's starting to get things figured out, 20-30, 342 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Meanwhile, Nick Chubb carried the ball 20 times for 165 yards, that is an average of 8.3 yards per carry, and he found the end zone three times. And then how about Jarvis Landry with his breakout day, eight catches for 167 yards. He was finally starting to act like he was involved in the offense. How about the Patriots winning 16-10 over Buffalo? They raced out to the early lead and looked like it was going to be a long day for Buffalo, but then the Bills started adjusting. Sean McDermott might be pretty good at this coaching thing. He might be sneakily good, slightly underrated. New England had a 13-0 lead after one quarter, but then the Bills started getting things figured out. Unfortunately for them, Josh Allen at quarterback was 13-28 for 153 yards. He was picked three times. Frank Gore, though, 17 carries, 109 yards. It's like that meme of that elderly gentleman who used to play for Kansas back for an alumni game, and he's just running through the defense. That is going to be Frank Gore here in about two, three years. At some point in his career, Frank Gore is going to be the new ageless wonder. Tom Brady on the other side, of course, what we've known to be the ageless wonder for how long. He wasn't all that efficient yesterday, 18-39, 150 yards and one interception. Yet, New England was still able to get the win over Buffalo. How about the Chiefs coming away with a 34-30 win at Detroit, a game where Pat Mahomes failed to throw a touchdown. The Chiefs still won. You've got to look at both those teams who both came in undefeated and say they are both legitimate, both earned respect at the national level. The Chiefs, even when Pat Mahomes plays his worst game as an NFL quarterback, still find a way to win. The Lions got Mahomes out of rhythm. They hung right there with maybe the best team in the NFL this year, and they took him right down to the wire. It was a game where Mahomes should have had a major advantage playing indoors. You've got to give respect to the Lions and what they did. The Lions are for real. Carolina 16-10 winners over Houston yesterday. Deshaun Watson was still on the field about two hours after the final play. He was out there practicing by himself. I tell you what, he might have had more of an offensive line then than he did during the game. He was 21-33 to throughout the day, 160 yards, no TDs, no picks. On the other side, Kyle Allen 24-34 for 232 yards, no TDs, and no picks. Now do with this what you will. Kyle Allen is now 2-0 He is the third quarterback in NFL history to win his first two starts on the road. The only other two to do so, future Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes and Jeff Hostetler. So do without what you will. Pat Mahomes, Kyle Allen, and Jeff Hostetler. Might be three different ends of the spectrum, but do without what you will. We'll revisit that when Kyle Allen makes his mark. The Oakland Raiders 31-24, they get the victory over the Colts. And they get a victory in the sense that Vontez Berfic will no longer play for them this year. I don't care how good he is. I've been sick of Vontez Berfic for I don't know how long. Yesterday following a dirty hit, he was ejected from the game. And it was announced today that he will miss the remainder of the season. No place in that for football. I'm glad to see him go. One of my least favorite athletes in sports. The Chargers start slow, but they come around and they pick up a 30-10 win over Miami. Phillip Rivers yeah, he's fine. Twenty-four, thirty, three hundred ten 310 yards, two TDs, no interceptions. Josh Rosen did lead Miami to their first lead of the season yesterday, early in the first quarter. He finished the day 17-24, 180 yards, one TD, and one pick. Austin Eckler carried the ball 18 times for 60 yards and one TD. Presumably, it'll be his last game as the number one running back in LA as they start to get Melvin Gordon back to being the workhorse that he is. Daniel Jones, 2-0. The New York Giants, 24-3 winners over Washington. Dwayne Haskins was not ready. The calls for Dwayne Haskins to get in there, they were bad ones, and Dwayne Haskins was not ready. He looked good on that opening drive, but after that, not much to be impressed with. 9 of 17, 107 yards, three interceptions. His first career touchdown was thrown to the other team. A pick six by Jabril Peppers. Meanwhile, Jones, 23 of 31, 225 yards, one TD. He was picked twice, both of those coming in the first half. And just like that, the New York Giants are one game out of the division lead a quarter of the way into the season. That's fool's gold, though. Giants aren't going to compete for that division. But as of right now, they are one game out of first place four games into the year. The Seattle Seahawks 27-10 winners over Arizona. Coach Hansom is still looking for his first win in the NFL. Seattle did what they needed to, bounced back nicely. This game was never really in doubt. Seattle had a 10-0 lead after one, a 20-3 to lead at halftime as they roll over the Cardinals. How about this one? Who saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers dropping 55 on the road against the LA Rams? Bruce Arians, is he really that good of a coach? Is he really the quarterback whisperer that we have all rumored him to be? And it looks like he might be. Jameis Winston tossed four touchdowns yesterday, 385 yards in total. But then how about Jared Goff on the other side? 45 of 68 through the year, 517 passing yards. 517 and two touchdowns. But he was picked three times as it came in a losing effort. The Buccaneers beating the Rams 55 to 40 just sums up what kind of week it was. More specifically, what kind of day it was in the NFL yesterday. The Bears 16-6 to winners over the Minnesota Vikings. They defend the home field. I tell you what, there was some good audio coming out of this game. A game where the Vikings did not have anything going offensively. I've got some audio clips I want to play for you. One being Khalil Mack. Now, Khalil Mack is one of the two most unstoppable forces that you can have on an NFL defense in today's game. The other being Aaron Donald. It's those two. Then there's a major crevice an abyss, if you will, between them and whoever's next on that list. But as good as Khalil Mack is at what he does, which is getting to the quarterback, creating havoc, he is not a great interview. Rarely does he give you some good audio. And yesterday there's about a 20-something second clip going around where about 18 seconds of it is pretty useless. However, there is one part where Khalil Mack actually shows a little bit of personality maybe in his post-game interview. Take a listen. How important was this win in making sure you defended home field today? Uh, dog that poop fast don't poop for long, man. Uh, it's, a, it's a good division, man. It's going to be a lot of games that we got to win down the stretch, you know what I mean? But the most important one is the next one, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we can't really watch what's going on too much. But uh, we're going to see what's going on and just kick stacking the way. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you catch that? It was just a few seconds long toward the beginning. Let me play that part of it again. Uh, dog that poop fast don't poop for long, man. You know, and I suppose that's true. And if you're still wondering, yes, you did hear that right. Khalil Mack, star defensive end for the Chicago Bears, said, a dog that poops fast does not poop for long. And while that may be true, I hadn't really thought of it. I don't know what that has to do with defending your home field in the NFC North. Either way, Mack and the Bears won, so I can say what they want yesterday. Meanwhile, the Vikings, yeah, they got some offensive issues. They were held to six points yesterday. I know that Bears defense is that good that they're going to throw anybody out of their rhythm, but it's causing a little bit of frustration, not only among Viking fans, but Viking players as well. Adam Thielen, one of the top wide receivers in the NFL last year, he was top five in yards. He has an amazing story. he Rarely ever has been called a diva, anything like that. He took maybe what was a little bit of a veiled shot at some others in the Vikings organization yesterday. I'm going to play some Adam Thielen audio for you here. You tell me, is this a veiled shot at quarterback Kirk Cousins or at head coach Mike Zimmer? At some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, um, even with the best running back in the NFL. Um, and, and that's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to make plays. Um, you have to be able to, um, you know, hit the ball, the deep balls. You have to do that because otherwise it's too easy for teams to just tee up and, and rush the quarterback. So uh, we, have to be, we have to be able to run the ball and pass the ball. and this league, you cannot be one-dimensional. It's just too easy to defend. If you remember the last time the Vikings and Bears played, Chicago beat Minnesota in Week 17 of last year. That kept the Vikings from going to the playoffs. There was a very public display of emotion on the sideline between Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins and you wonder if maybe there's still a little bad blood between those two. Now, I don't blame Adam Thielen for being upset. Kirk Cousins is not the answer quarterback for the Vikings. was extremely overpaid and extremely inefficient. But at one point, people were wondering if Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs were the best wide receiver tandem in football. And those two have been largely pedestrian so far this year. They have two really good tight ends, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr., Those two have caught the ball a combined 10 times this year. Right now, they're basically just extra linemen because the Vikings want to run the football. They're running the football more than they ever have in franchise history. They're running on almost 60% of their plays, and they've got a good running back to do it. But they're one-dimensional right now, and you can't do that against the Chicago Bears. So while it sounds like Thielen might be taking a shot at his quarterback, I think there's a case to be made here that he's also taken a shot at head coach Mike Zimmer, who, by the way, is in the last year of his contract and has not been re-signed. Zimmer is in a prove-me year if he wants a new contract, and right now the only thing he's proving is that his offense is unsatisfied with the play calling. They're unsatisfied with the distribution of the football. Dalvin Cook is getting touches on over 60% of the offensive plays. Your running back has more receptions this year than your two top tight ends combined. Dalvin Cook has 15 catches in the first four games. Rudolph and Smith Jr. have a combined 10. The Vikings have the tools there to be really good this year and to win that division, but they've got to make a change. Cousins is not the answer at quarterback, and now people are wondering if Mike Zimmer is the answer at head coach. And I tell you what, even more good news for the Bears. Chase Daniel might be a better passer than Mitch Trubisky. Is it too early to say that? Trubisky looks like a broken ribski. He's going to be missing a few weeks. Chase Daniel looked pretty good when he came in. The Bears might have found a better quarterback, one that they've had all along on their bench. Chase Daniel helps the Bears get the win over Minnesota yesterday. Elsewhere around the NFL, the best quarterback in football leads his team to a 26-24 win over Denver. The Broncos fall to 0-4 as the Jaguars improve to 2-2. I tell you what, the Broncos have lost every game almost the same way this year. Last second, heartbreak. If you want to call week one against Oakland a blowout, that's about as close to a blowout as they've had this year, and really, Oakland didn't salt that away until after the two-minute warning, so do without what you will. Denver 0-4, oh, you think how different things could be if they would have slipped one, maybe two of those out. And then finally, Sunday Night Football last night, the New Orleans Saints pick up a win at home, 12-10. They beat the Dallas Cowboys with a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. He is legit. I tell you what, we got some really good audio out of it from First Take this morning that I can share with you. Stephen A. Smith makes it no secret how much he despises Dallas Cowboy fans. Him, Will Kane, you know, they have that little banter going on. But Cowboy fans had long been in Stephen A.'s mentions on Twitter saying, We them boys, how about them Cowboys? And then they lose last night to a backup quarterback. Stephen A. had this on his revenge tour earlier this morning. How do, how do, how y'all doing out there, you Cowboy fans everywhere? I know last night was difficult for you. I get it, I get it. You're not going to have an undefeated season after all. I reckon this is a real miserable day for you. But I got some news for you. There's still hope. There's still hope. You're still ahead in the NFC East. You're not going to be perfect, okay? But that doesn't mean you're not going to have a winning season. Guess what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> the Cowboys lost. All right? That's a sign of things to come. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. Let me lasso you in on it. Right on up in here. I hope you'll be all right as the season progresses. But in case you don't, there's always first take waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> them Cowboys! It's even better if you look up the video on YouTube. He's got the Cowboy hat on. He's square dancing while he's talking. I think Cowboy fans would trade the loss last night just so we can get content like that. I tell you what, that was a recap around the NFL from Sunday. Let's take our first time out. When we come back, a few coaching shakeups around a multitude of sports over the weekend. How do they relate to what's going on in Ann Arbor? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. Well, I tell you what, college football this weekend was fun. was entertaining. A lot of storylines came out of that, including Mac Brown, getting his team right down to the wire, a chance to knock off number one Clemson. That was absolutely the right call to go for two. Maybe the play call itself wasn't great, but because of it, Clemson loses their number one ranking to Alabama. The game I'm sure a lot of you were keeping an eye on was Michigan and Rutgers. You had one coach that was very publicly on the hot seat that needed a statement win. He got it. And then another coach that was on the hot seat, not nearly as publicly, saw his team lose 52 to nothing to the Michigan Wolverines, and then he lost his job. Yesterday it was announced that Chris Ash was fired as the head football coach at Rutgers. Him along with offensive coordinator John McNulty were out with the Scarlet Knights football program. Nunzio Campanili has been named interim head coach for the rest of the season. So a coach was fired as a result of Michigan-Rutgers. Maybe not the one we were all thinking of. Jim Harbaugh's seat didn't get any warmer on Saturday. It didn't get any cooler also because that was a game where they were supposed to dominate and that they did. Let's put a pin in that. Let's come back to that because there are a few parallels I want to draw here. Yesterday was the final day of the Major League Baseball regular season. The next day, the Monday after the regular season ends in both baseball, football, a few other sports, but mainly those two, is known as Black Monday because several coaches in those sports are going to lose their jobs. That's when the firings are going to start happening. Teams are going to turn the page and move on. Friday, we talked about a little bit. We didn't think there'd be a lot of firings. Ryan Steag and myself. And there weren't. Bruce Bochy has managed the San Francisco Giants for I don't know how long now. He announced earlier this year that this would be his final season. He had his farewell tour. And yesterday, managed his last game with San Francisco. Ned Yost last week announced that this would be his final week with the Kansas City Royals. Both those two had led their teams to championships, actually managed against each other in the 2014 World Series, and while neither team had been good in the last couple of years, both franchises allowed those coaches to step down with dignity, get their farewell tour, because they did so much for that franchise, and now they're ready to turn the page. Yesterday, it was made public what we already knew. The Chicago Cubs would not bring back Joe Madden in 2020. Madden, somebody who'd made the playoffs all but one year, this year, while he was with Chicago, ended a 108-year championship drought with the 2016 World Series. He had brought the Cubs to more championship series, the NLCS, than about, what, 27 teams in the league in his five years with Chicago. He was there more times than about 27 of the other 30 teams in Major League Baseball in that five-year stretch. And even though he had winning records every year he was there, he missed the playoffs one season this year. And suddenly, the Cubs are all about, what have you done for me lately? And they decide to move on. They decide that somebody else needs to lead the franchise going forward. And then earlier today, the Angels announced that Brad Osmus would not return after one season. And last night, of course, after original story said that he would stay, the Pirates cut ties with manager Clint Hurdle. It's not overly shocking. The Pirates bottomed out in the second half of the year. But Hurdle, somebody who won the 2007 National League pennant with the Rockies, is now out of a job too. And I just want to say this. I have an idea for each job, a candidate, who may very well get that job. And I want to go on record with it just in case it works out that way. San Francisco, I've long said, Raul Labania is currently an assistant with the Dodgers. I think he would be a good fit there. The Cubs, to me, it seems like Joe Girardi is headed there. But keep an eye on David Ross. Was a catcher with the team when they won the World Series back in 2016. He is a super baseball mind. Backup catchers are always really smart. They're always learning the game. I think he'd be a great manager. I think he's a dark horse candidate for the Cubs job. And then for the Pirates, I think Derek Shelton is the guy to keep an eye on. It's still way too early. He's currently the bench coach with the Minnesota Twins, and while they're in the playoffs, they're still playing. You're not going to hear anything more about it. But Derek Shelton has previously worked with Neil Huntington, the general manager over in Pittsburgh, who they did announce is going to stay. And he was a prime candidate, actually a finalist, for the Texas Rangers job most recently. I think Derek Shelton could very well be on his way to Pittsburgh, especially given the job that he did with the Twins this year as the top assistant to Rocco Baldelli. I think Derek Shelton could be the new Pirates skipper. The Royals, I really don't know. I don't know who's going to be their new manager, so let's just throw Joe Madden in there for old times' sake, because he still wants to manage somewhere. I would hate it. I, I don't want Joe Madden anywhere near the American League Central, but why not? Bring a guy like Joe Madden into Kansas City. Those will be my predictions. But I want to go back to Joe Madden with the Cubs. They part ways with him, and a lot of Cubs fans aren't happy with it. And should they be? And you know, the Cubs bottomed out. They've had a few dry stretches during the last couple of years. Looked like they had a World Series hangover after a slow start to 2017. Then they turned it around, had a strong second half and a strong playoff run. And then they've gradually digressed the last couple of years. But still, this guy brought you your first title in over 100 years. He consistently gets you to the League Championship Series. Four out of the five years he made the playoffs. Every year you're a winner and you're a threat. Not just to win your division, but maybe to win it all. To win a pennant to win a World Series, and yet that wasn't good enough for Joe Mann to keep a job in Chicago. That wasn't good enough for Theo Epstein. A couple of weeks ago, Boston got rid of Dave Dombrowski, the architect of a team that won the World Series less than 12 months ago, and now he's out of a job because Boston didn't make the playoffs this year. Baseball is becoming what have you done for me lately in certain markets, markets like Boston, Chicago. Not necessarily others like San Francisco and Kansas City, where, yeah, those managers had did a lot for their franchises, but they were allowed to be let go with dignity. They were allowed to decide when they were going to step down and call it quits. Why is it that we get such a disparity in standard across different markets in Major League Baseball? Why is the standard so different in certain markets? Why is it, what have you done for me lately in Boston, Chicago, and certain other markets, but not as much in others. This is where we circle back to Jim Harbaugh. A lot of Michigan fans want him gone. And why? Because they don't believe he's going to deliver a championship. The Cubs, while I'm sure they were grateful to Madden what he did, did not believe he was going to bring them another championship. And for certain markets, for certain schools, it's all about championships. The Cubs are that way. Michigan football is that way. Michigan football and Rutgers football have vastly different standards. But Rutgers just fired their head football coach, even though the guy that they bring in, I'm sure isn't going to make or break their title chances. Rutgers is in a spot where they are willing to go back to the proverbial and perpetual well of sifting through the resumes of guys like Greg Schiano and Butch Jones just because they needed a change. Michigan fans want a change because they have lost confidence that Jim Harbaugh will deliver them a title. And you know what? I think they're right in thinking that. Not necessarily that they need a change at head coach, but in thinking that Jim Harbaugh won't deliver them a title because I don't think he will. I don't even think he'll deliver them a Big Ten title. This year was his opportunity, and right now, there's no reason to think Ohio State is not the team to beat in the Big Ten East. So what can we learn from what happened with Joe Madden this weekend and several other managers and coaches throughout history, especially in recent memory, and what could happen with Jim Harbaugh if he is indeed fired at the end of this year? I don't think he will be. I think they'll lose to Ohio State, I think they very well could lose to Notre Dame, and yet Jim Harbaugh will return as the head coach of Michigan football, because you look at the landscape of college football right now, and if your standard is championships, who is going to do that, who is going to deliver? Right now, I believe there are five men in college football that could go to any program and immediately elevate them to being a title contender. And you're not going to get Dabo Sweeney to lead Clemson. You're not going to get Nick Saban to leave Alabama. I don't think you're going to get Kirby Smart to leave Georgia. I'd put him in that category. I think any team coached by Kirby Smart is a national title contender. And you're certainly not going to get Lincoln Riley. I don't even think Oklahoma's going to get Lincoln Riley after this year. I think some NFL team is going to get him. And the last guy that i put in that category, the last college football coach that could elevate a team to title contender immediately is Urban Meyer. I don't know how Michigan fans would feel about Urban Meyer, but the guy can coach. I think if he starts winning like any fan base, they'll start to come around. But those five guys will elevate any team to being a title contender next year. I don't believe that's Harbaugh right now. I'm a Notre Dame guy, and do you think I like having Brian Kelly as a head coach? I'm not high on Brian Kelly. I think Notre Dame wins in spite of him a lot of the time, not because of him. And do I think Brian Kelly's going to bring a title to Notre Dame? I don't. I really don't. But at the same point, he's got a nice cushy seat that he's on right now. It was hot a few years ago when they were 4-8. and eight. It's not that way right now coming off a trip to the college football playoff. But do I think Notre Dame can win a national title under Brian Kelly? I really don't. That's not to say that the standard is different at Notre Dame and Michigan. Those are the two most victorious college football programs in history. The standard should be championships for both of those schools. And while I get Michigan football fans' frustration for wanting a guy in there who's going to actually give you optimism to get a championship, Michigan knows it would be a knee-jerk reaction to get rid of a guy who has them as a perennial 9-10 win team. That Michigan's always right there. Because I believe that the Michigan ADs, the administration, the school, the board of regions, they know Harbaugh's not going to bring them a title, but they need to hear a name that's better. They need to have somebody better in line before they get rid of him. Because if you get rid of Harbaugh, do you really think Bronco Mendenhall is going to make you a better program or even keep you on the same par as you are right now? How about Gattis, the offensive coordinator? I think he's a really smart play caller. In fact, this is what I believe. This isn't just me being a gas bag. This is what I believe straight up. I believe that Harbaugh is not given. Gattis as much play-calling freedom as he says he is. I believe Harbaugh is hamstringing him, and Harbaugh is not giving Gaddis play-calling duties. In fact, those two are sharing it at Harbaugh's direction. I believe Gaddis is a really good play-caller, but I don't think he's ready to be a head coach. So Michigan hears your complaints. They know what you mean. They probably feel the same way. Harbaugh is not a championship coach, but they need somebody better. They need a better option before they pull the trigger and get rid of him. Because then what are you going to do? Go to Luke Fickle? You going to try and make it work with the next mid-major and think that he's going to be better than Harbaugh? I'm not saying that Michigan should lower their standards when looking for a head coach. But there are lessons to be learned from schools like Nebraska. What they did a few years ago with Bo Pelaney. Perennially a 9-10 win team. Perennially contending for the Big Ten Championship. They axed him because he wasn't elevating the program. They weren't developing and going forward. Now look where Nebraska is. Look what happened Saturday night. That embarrassing spectacle. Is it worth taking that risk? If you're Michigan, is it worth taking that risk and becoming Nebraska? Now where Michigan football and the Cubs situations differ are the coaching candidate pool. Because the Cubs can go out and get somebody who is a championship caliber manager. Joe Girardi, I believe, is a championship caliber manager. He's done it before. He should have done more winning when he was with the Yankees, but he's shown that he can do it. Guys like Luke Fickle, Bronco Mendenhall, Kyle Whittingham, whoever Michigan could bring in to replace Harbaugh, haven't shown they can do that. And I know Harbaugh's not the guy that a lot of Michigan football fans want there. They want somebody who's going to elevate the program. The truth is, there's just nobody out there right now. Unless you're happy with bringing in Urban Meyer, There's nobody out there who's going to elevate the program. Would I love to have somebody other than Brian Kelly coaching Notre Dame? Yeah, I would. Because you can tell when Brian Kelly is calling the plays or when he gives Chip Long, the offensive coordinator, play calling duties. Brian Kelly is not a good play caller, ladies and gentlemen. But at the same time, Notre Dame fans aren't clamoring for Brian Kelly to get fired because they know there's nobody out there who's going to elevate the program. Back when Notre Dame was 4-8 and eight three years ago, then people were calling for Kelly's job. That's understandable, but Michigan's not turning in 4-8 and eight seasons. Michigan is consistently a 9-10 win team. And I'm not saying to lower your standards. A school like Michigan, their standards should be championships every year. But is it worth a knee-jerk reaction and firing some guy before somebody qualified is in place just to prove that you don't have low standards? Or is it worth waiting to see who is the next mid-major or assistant coach that can develop and prove that he can be the next Dabo, the next Saban, the next Urban, and going and getting him then? Let's take a time out. When we come back, let's dive into Post-season baseball, October baseball right around the corner. We'll talk about it next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, glad to have you along. Let's jump into some baseball because we're about to jump into October. I'm going to tell you which team Entering the major league postseason has the most pressure on them to win a title this year. Who has the least amount of pressure and everybody in between? But first, here's your Sports Center update. California Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill into law that will allow collegiate athletes in that state to be able to profit from their likeness and autograph. The law goes into effect in 2023. Aaron Judge has the highest-selling MLB jersey of any player in 2019. He's followed by Bryce Harper, Cody Bellinger, Javier Baez, and Christian Yelich making up the top five. And finally, horses have the largest eyes of any animal. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Some good talking points in that update there. The top 10 players in jersey sales this year, all position players. No pitchers up there being the popular jersey choice for 2019. I tell you what, that bill, I had some thoughts on it in a show a couple of weeks ago. I know Tim Tebow had some thoughts on it too that weren't nearly as popular. That bill has the right idea, but doing it in one state rather than mandating at the federal level? Is a mistake. There's going to be a whole mess that comes out of this. But I tell you what, let's go to baseball and let's talk about the 10 teams whose seasons are continuing. By the way, tomorrow night when the playoffs get started, tune in to ESPN-UP as we'll have coverage of the Brewers at Nationals in the National League wildcard game. It can be heard right here on ESPN-UP, online with our app, and online at our website, ESPNUP.com. Well, this article came out earlier today. I want to clarify, this is not my opinion. This is an article from ESPN headquarters ranking the 10 teams with the most and least pressure to win a title this year, to win a World Series this year. This is what our writers here at ESPN have to think. I'm going to tell you what I agree about each team and where they're ranked and what I don't agree with. And let's start at number 10. Let's get the countdown going. The team with the least amount of pressure out of the teams left in the postseason to win the World Series this year would be the Houston Astros. i tell you what, I agree with that one. The Astros are the most recent champions with Boston not being in the playoffs this year. The next step for them really is just becoming a dynasty. That's all they need to do. They're perennially the AL West champions. They won 107 games this year. They're perennially a team that's going to make at least the ALCS. They're probably going to do it again this year. I think they're the most complete team in the American League. They don't have a lot of pressure on them to win a World Series right now. But if they want to be considered a dynasty, that's probably what they need to do is just have more than one title. And their title window? It's not closed by any stretch of the imagination. And it won't be anytime soon. You look at their free agent list after this year, and Garrett Cole obviously is the marquee name on there. I don't know that they're going to get him back. I've long said I think he's going to go to Atlanta. But there's not a lot of pressure on Houston to win a World Series this year because even if they don't, They're still going to bring back a good enough group, even if they don't bring back Garrett Cole. They have still got a young enough group that's highlighted by Jordan Alvarez, who's probably going to win AL Rookie of the Year this year. And because he's so young, because he's still on a rookie deal and so many of their team is, they have the financial flexibility to continue to be really good for a long time. So I agree with this article saying that Houston has the least amount of pressure on them of any team in the postseason this year. Number nine on the list, number nine as far as uh, most pressure to win a World Series this year, the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Cardinals' last title came back in 2011. They were perennially a playoff team, last going there in 2015. And they've struggled the last couple of years. But the fact that they're going in with a manager who just completed his first full regular season and they haven't been to the postseason in about three years, that's going to give the Cards a little bit of flexibility. You look at their free agent list coming up after this year. Marcelo Zuna, he's a big one. Adam Wainwright, those two are probably the ones that top the list. And you could say Michael Waka, too, because he will be up for a new contract, and he's not make or break. He's not going to make or break your World Series chances, but he is a good complimentary piece. There's just not a lot of pressure on the Cardinals right now to win a World Series. I don't think a lot of people are expecting them to. I don't think a lot of people are expecting them to get out of the divisional round when they take on Atlanta, who, by the way, has a lot more pressure on them. We're going to get to them here in a few moments. Number eight on the list, the Tampa Bay Rays. They've never won a World Series, yet there's not a whole lot of pressure on them. They're not expected to do much, They play Wednesday night in the wild card game. If there's anything that's putting pressure on them, it would be the fact that they've won 90 games in back-to-back seasons, which is great, but you play in front of an empty stadium. So at what point do you start to take a step forward and develop? A lot of franchises would kill to have 90 wins back-to-back years, but Tampa fans are so fickle. They don't care about going to watch a team that's won 90 games in that ballpark over in St. Pete. Now you're showing you've got to do more than win 90 games. Despite that, they don't have the financial salaries, uh, what have you, to be able to compete with the top dogs. And that's why there's not as much pressure on Tampa Bay as seven other teams in the postseason. Number seven on the list would be the New York Yankees. Their last title came 10 years ago already. They're always right there, and money is never an excuse. They always have the money where they should always be contending for a title. And just being in New York, I mean, that adds a lot of pressure in itself. The fact that they're able to hit all these home runs, finishing the regular season with 306, second only to Minnesota, and the fact that they win 100 games again under a second year manager, it's raising expectations. What they did in the East this year and the guys that they went out and got in free agency the last couple of years, a guy like John Carlos Stanton, who you can make the case that his first year with the Yankees was a failure because they didn't do what they set out to do and that was knock off Boston in the postseason. That they would have been that good anyway, with or without Stanton in the regular season, but yet it didn't matter because he didn't come up big for them in the playoffs, and that's where their season ended. Number six on the list, the sixth most pressure, is the Atlanta Braves. The Braves' last title came back in 1995. They've got a really good group this year. The problem is they've got a lot of guys that are up for free agency. A lot of good pieces that have helped them get here. Guys like Josh Donaldson, Brian McCann, Dallas Keuchel. I do think they're going to get Garrett Cole. I just got this feeling they're going to get Garrett Cole this offseason. But I tell you what, they've got a team right now that is young. They're still on rookie deals. They are not busting at the salary cap scenes by any stretch. It makes me think, if Atlanta has any year to do it, and they've got the financial flexibility This would be it. They've got the talent, plus they've got the financial space. They'll always have talent. And the next few years, they should have a few uh, more years of financial wiggle room. But this would be the year if they're going to have the combination of both at its max. So that is six through 6-10 on ESPN's article ranking the teams under the most pressure to win a World Series this year in Major League Baseball. 6 is Atlanta, 7 New York, 8 Tampa Bay, 9 St. Louis, and 10 is Houston. We go to the top 5 teams under the most pressure. Number 5, the Minnesota Twins. They have not won a World Series since 1991. They've had some pretty good years the last couple of years. Uh, Ron Gardenhire, when he was there, yeah, the Twins were Borderline a dynasty, they were an AL Central dynasty. You can't really call them a full dynasty though, because they never did anything in the postseason. They have had five of their last six postseason runs ended by the New York Yankees, the team that they are going to play Friday night and see if they can end that stigma. But when you look at Minnesota and their window of opportunity right now, they went out and they spent money this offseason. Something they really don't like to do traditionally. They've hit 307 home runs this year. That is a new major league record for a single regular season. You combine all that and how much longer they're going to have this group together, they're not quite in win-now mode. They will be next year. Because next year, four of your five starting pitchers are up for new contracts. Plus, you got position players like Jonathan Scope, who knows what Nelson Cruz is going to do next year. He'll be 40 years old. Will he decide to give it one more go and come back? That's why the pressure's on Minnesota. Number four on the list, the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that lost their best player, and yet, finish the regular season winning what was it, like, 14 of their last 16 games. I think the loss of Yelich takes a lot of pressure off this brewer team. There's not a lot of people there thinking the brewers are going to win a title without Yellich. But at the same point, you're going to have to go out and get some of these names, these free agents that you have on your roster, to come back with you next year. And keep in mind, this is a franchise it's a small market franchise that has traditionally good baseball. They were power until, what, like 2011? Then they went through a few dry spells, and lately they've started to build that culture back, and the Brewers are getting back to being one of those perennial uh, powers in Major League Baseball. So that's why there's a little bit of pressure on Milwaukee. ESPN has them at number four. Number three on this list, most pressure to win the World Series this year, would be the Oakland Athletics. Their last title came back in 1989, and they went through those Billy Bean years in the 90s, into the 2000s. And I tell you what, I've said it before, that they always seem to take the first half of the year off, except for 2014, and then they have a great second half of the year, finishes runner-ups in the American League West, and get into the wild card game. And they still do so with 90 wins. Yet at some point, just like the Rays, you got to do something with that, because they don't play in a great ballpark. People aren't going to come to Oakland A's games because of their ballpark you got to eventually be able to do something more than just win 90 games over and over again. Oakland playing Tampa Bay in the wild card game on Wednesday night. Number two on this list, most pressure to win a World Series this year? Oh, I don't know about this one, but I can see the case that ESPN is making here. The L.A. Dodgers. If it were me, I'd probably put the Dodgers at number one. Because it's hard for me to believe that there's a team with more pressure to win the World Series this year than the team who's lost the last two. The year before that, they made it to the NLCS, and then they got stopped by the Cubs, who went on to win their World Series in that magical run. I just don't see how L.A. can win a title if they couldn't with the roster they had last year. They had so much talent that was overflowing. You had perennial all-stars sitting on your bench on a given night, and they couldn't do it. I just don't see how they can get better than the group that they've had. Now, I guess the reason that ESPN put them at number two, that they say there's one more team with more pressure on them to win now, might be because of their free agent situation. Because for the Dodgers, free agency is not a big issue for them. It is, however, a big issue when you factor in Hyunjin Ru. He is the only major free agent that will have to resign this offseason. But even if he doesn't come back next year, will the Dodgers still not win the NOS West? Will they still not make it, at least to the NLCS? I know Ryu's probably going to win the Cy Young in the National League this year, but even if he doesn't come back between Bueller, Kershaw, Gingergard, Dustin May, they'll have a good enough pitching staff playing in that division that they'll win at least 90, 95 games, maybe even get to 100 but there's, their window's starting to close, ladies and gentlemen, and it's got to be getting you a little bit uncomfortable. So I can see where ESPN ranked the Dodgers at number two behind the Washington Nationals. This is a team that has never won a World Series. They came to D.C. from Montreal back in 2004, and I tell you what, they lose Bryce Harper this offseason. They look like they were lost. They were dead in the water early on in the year. At one point, they were 19-31, and 31, then became the first team that was 12 games under 500. at one point to make the postseason. But now what do they do? Now they're running into a red-hot Milwaukee squad that's without their top player, and they got to find a way to beat them and then the Dodgers. There's a lot of pressure on this Washington team for a team that people think, has, what, like the 6th, 7th, that might even be generous, best odds to win the World Series this year? The reason being, the reason they have so much pressure on them is because they will be hit hard by free agency this offseason. And it won't be the sheer number of players that they use, but it's going to be who they lose. Again, they lost Bryce Harper to Philadelphia. They found a way to replace him. But can you replace Anthony Rendon? Because that is the marquee free agent that's going to hit the market this year for Washington. And you know what? I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know that Anthony Rendon is going to come back to Washington next year because he may very well be the highest paid free agent this offseason and he is going to look at fielding offers elsewhere. He is at least going to look. I don't know that Washington's going to be able to bring him back. That is. I believe is why espn ranked washington as the team with the most pressure on them to win a world series this year because of who they could potentially lose this offseason and who they'll have coming back they still got their young guys like juan soto guys on rookie deals guys that they can have a little bit of financial flexibility with but will they be able to match offers for rendon from teams like new york chicago la teams in those markets It's going to be tough for a team like Washington to do so. And that's what puts the pressure on them to win this year. I tell you what, that is ESPN's list. It came out today of the teams with the most pressure, most and least pressure, to win the World Series in 2019. We're coming up on our next break. I tell you what, when we come back, we're going to end... Monday the way we always do, and that is playing over-under. Taking a look at the college football games this weekend that involve top 25 teams. Taking a look at the lines, betting numbers, what have you. I'm going to give you my thoughts if we should go over or under. Bet at your own risk. That's coming up next here after the commercial on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of our show today, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple Live Store, Google Play, or look up espn Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. And we end the day playing... Over under. Love doing this in our closing segment every Monday. Over under for the top 25 games in college football this weekend. And by top 25, I don't mean the 25 best games, but all games involving a ranked team. I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you how to bet, at least not with college football. But in the NFL, there is a trend that I want to bring awareness to, and that is underdogs overperforming. They've been doing that this year at really a historic pace. Underdogs in the NFL this year are 39, 23, and 1 against the spread. That's a 63% winning percentage. Underdogs are 39, 23, and 1 against the spread. Week 1, they were 9, 6, and 1. Weeks 2 and 3, 9, and 7. And then so far in week 4, 12 and 3 against the spread. That doesn't mean the underdogs won every game that they weren't picked to, but it means they either won or or they lost by fewer points than predicted. 12-3 and three against the spread with one game to go in Week 4. That is tonight, Monday Night Football, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. The Steelers enter as four-point favorites. I tell you what, let's take a look at some college lines for this weekend. First one we have is UCF four-point favorites when they travel to take on Cincinnati. Dividing Luke Fickles. Some people think he could be the next head coach of Michigan. I tell you what, I'm going to take the over on this one. UCF has the firepower. They have the quarterback play where they can go into Cincinnati, and you can set that line around 7 to 10, anywhere in that range, and they're going to be good. I say at least a touchdown for UCF this weekend at Cincinnati. Penn State, 24-point favorites at home against Purdue. I like that line where it is, to be honest with you, but I'll slightly take the over on it. Purdue was just torn apart this weekend. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota just picked that defense apart. It looks like he laid a blueprint as for how to do so, plus Elijah Sindelar with that hyper extension this weekend against the Gophers. Purdue just doesn't have a shot to go into Happy Valley and get that win. Penn State, meanwhile, they're one of those teams that's looking to thump somebody. They haven't been able to do that yet this year. They haven't been able to have that tone-setting win so far this year. They're undefeated. Could this be the weekend that they make a statement in conference play? Albeit it would come against Purdue and it would be a game that they're supposed to win by a wide margin, but it still wouldn't hurt. How about Oklahoma State at Texas Tech? Cowboys favored by eight. I'm going to go with the over on this one as well. I picked against the Cowboys this weekend. They hammered it to Kansas State. I'm going to go with the over on this one. I think they're playing good football. They're going to head down to Texas Tech that's reeling off of lost Oklahoma. I think the Cowboys have this one. They're going to go above the eight-point margin of victory. Wisconsin at home, 37-point favorites over Kent State. Absolutely take the over on it. Jonathan Taylor against Kent State. Does all you need to know. This game is going to be over by the end of the first quarter. Probably gonna be twenty-one nothing after one quarter. That's what I'm gonna say. It was Wisconsin up by three touchdowns after one. They will roll, and I'm taking the over as thirty-seven point favorites over Kent State. Texas eleven point favorites at West Virginia. Oh, I like what that line where it is right now. This is the one I'm gonna go under on, just slightly. Texas is going to win. They're clearly a better football team, but Morgantown gets up for big games. West Virginia is not what they used to be, but they can still be dangerous. They can still be a sleeper team on any given week. They're not going to make a run to the Big 12, but they could be dangerous, and that's why I think they're going to make it a ball game, but I still think Texas wins this one. Maybe not by 11 points, but Texas gets the win here. You have Oregon 16-point favorites at home against Cal. But, oh, ladies and gentlemen, take the under on this one. The Pac-12, all they do is beat up on each other. And they do it in games they're not supposed to. What has Oregon done to overly impress this year that makes us think that they can beat a really good Cal defense by 16? Just because that game's in Eugene? The Pac-12 has got to be the hardest conference to bet on. I would stay away from it, from Pac-12 football. But Oregon is not going to beat Cal by 16 this weekend. It just won't happen. I don't know who's going to win that game. Cal very well could win it. But Oregon is not winning that one by 16. How about Washington, 15-point favorites. They are on the road at Stanford. I'm going to take the under on it. If they set the line at like 12, 13, that would be better for me. I still think the Huskies win this one, probably by two scores. But I don't see it as being a 15-point win over Stanford. SMU, fourteen-point favorites. They're at home against Tulsa. I like that line where it is, but I think I'm going to go with the over on it. I think SMU is slightly going to overperform the fourteen-point margin of victory that they've been gifted against Tulsa. How about Michigan at home against Iowa? Got the Wolverines taking on an undefeated Hawkeye team. The maize and blue are favored by five. I like that line. That's another one that I really wouldn't change but I think I'm going to go, if I have to, I might just go with the under on it. I can see Michigan winning this one anywhere between two to four points, something like that. If this game was in Iowa City, I would bet on the Hawks to win it, but it's in Ann Arbor. The Hawks have traditionally struggled there, and I think Michigan is going to win this one this weekend, and I with our first loss. I think five is about right. Anywhere in that two to seven point range would be good for me. You've got Georgia on the road at Tennessee, their 24-point favorites against the Volunteers. I'm going to go with the over on this one just because Tennessee has been that bad this year. Georgia has been that good this year. They're on a mission, and especially in conference play, they're going to take no prisoners. I think 24 again is about right, but if Georgia wins by more than 24, no surprise to me. I'm okay with that. Oklahoma on the road at Kansas, the fighting Les Mileses, and the Sooners are favored by 35. I'm going to take the over on that. Jalen Hurts, absolutely no way that Kansas is going to be stopping them, even if it's in Lawrence. Jalen Hurts is on his way to a Heisman Trophy. It's going to be three straight for Lincoln Riley and the Sooners, and it is going to be another conference victory for OU this weekend. They're going to do it by a big margin as well. Notre Dame at home, 46-point favorites against Bowling Green. I'll take the under on it, just because the Irish are one of those teams that doesn't always live up to the spread against teams like this. Teams that they should beat by, like, 46, they don't always do that. It'll probably be a wide margin of victory. It'll be at least four touchdowns, maybe five. But 46 points? I mean, you're talking six, seven touchdowns. I don't know about that one. Auburn and Florida this weekend number 7 at number 10 this could be a really fun one Auburn is favored by 3 I'm going to go with more than that I'm going to say Auburn by at least a touchdown because Florida is going to get exposed this weekend I'm not overly impressed with them I'm not overly impressed with what their product is all about this year Auburn, I have been impressed at times Bo Nix, at times I've been impressed I think he's going to go into a road environment this weekend it'll be the toughest road contest of his young collegiate career thus far but I think he's going to have enough to take care of business and Auburn is going to beat the three-point spread and win at Florida on Saturday night Ohio State 22 point favorites at home against Sparty I'm gonna take the over on it again 22 is probably about right Sparty's looking like they're starting to get some offensive issues figured out but can they keep up with Ohio State can they keep up with an offense like this Michigan State's defense, they might prove me wrong. They very well could. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But after what I saw at Nebraska on Saturday night, and again, I know that's Nebraska, I wouldn't be shocked to see Ohio State win this one by three scores. So yeah, 22 points sounds about right for this one, considering it is in Columbus after all. But until Sparty's offense shows they can keep up with an offense the caliber of Ohio State, I've got to go with the over on this one. Buckeyes plus 22. LSU, 25-point favorites at home against Utah State. I'm taking the over on that. Joe Burrows has been the best quarterback not named Jalen Hurts throughout the first five weeks of the college football season. They're going to defend Death Valley well, and LSU is going to roll in this one over Utah State. And then finally, Boise State, 22-point favorites. are on the road at UNLV. I'm going to take the under on this one. I think Boise State is going to win, but this could very well be a one-score game because Vegas is a tough place to go into and play, Boise State, I'm not sure how much they've proved yet. Are they a good team? Yeah. Do they deserve to be a top 25 team after what they've done so far? Yeah, they do. Yet, I'm not overly impressed with them yet. It's one thing to be deserving and another to be impressive. Like, you can look at their resume... And you can't really say they don't deserve to be a top 25 team with their record, albeit their record may be a product of their schedule. That's why I'm not overly impressed with them yet. Maybe this is a prove-me game, but I can easily see this being a trap game for Boise State, so I'm going to take the under. That is over-under as we play in our closing segment every Monday. Here in the Sports Pen, we take a look at the games involving ranked college football teams coming up this weekend. I tell you what, with that, we are out of time. I appreciate you tuning in, as always, and hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place for Eastern, 3 Central, and it's my hope you join me. The second season of Major League Baseball, we'll throw the first pitch tomorrow night. We'll have a lot of baseball gearing up for the first wild card game, which will be heard here on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, tonight, we've got Monday Night Football steelers Bengals. It's going to be a fun one on ESPN TV. Tune in for that as well. Signing off from the ESPN of studios in downtown Marquette, Michigan, I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great rest of your Monday.